Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Landlord and tenant rules and what is new is what we're going to talk today about. I'm Sarah Larby. You are listening to Where Should I Invest? And today's guest will be Andrew Tubetta from Caveat LLP. Him and his team personally assist me as well through my own personal landlord tenant issues, and they've done a great job. So we will hear from Andrew in just a moment. But before we do that, Dahlia from Streetwise Mortgages, over to you. What is this week's tip of the week? Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages, and today we're going to talk about private money and how it can help you as a real estate investor fund your project and what to watch for and how this money is different from other types of money that you can access as an investor. So private mortgages are essentially mortgages that are also secured against the property you're buying or the property you're refinancing. And they can also extend to other properties that you have if needed through what's called a cross collateral, which helps you obtain a higher loan amount. For private mortgages, the market has picked up quite a bit since the interest rates have started increasing in Canada because qualifying with traditional lenders has become uh, more challenging as the rates went up and the stress test bar continued to rise uh, on the residential side. So investors are tapping into private money these days to sometimes get a breathing room, believe it or not, when it comes to their monthly payments. We are seeing some investors switch from principal and interest payment with a B lender, let's say, to an interest-only payment with a private mortgage because despite the higher rates, uh, interest-only payments can give such a breathing room. We're also seeing investors use this type of money if they're looking to acquire a property that uh, a traditional lender does not want to touch because of its condition or because of its location. Uh, investors also tap into this type of money uh, if they're looking to renovate. And some lenders on the street can um, also provide a renovations loan through private funding. So it's a uh, a type of money that is accessible uh, pretty much to everyone. You just need to be careful about who you're getting this money from and read the fine print that comes with it. Private money is more expensive than any other type of money. The rules are not as defined compared to traditional lenders. So you always have to pay attention to the mortgage approval or the mortgage commitment that you're getting. You want to pay attention to the lender fees charge, the broker fees charge, the renewal fees, the renewal conditions. You want to pay attention to all administrative fees sometimes that are embedded in the mortgage commitment. You don't want to get caught with high fees on renewals. And the beauty about private mortgages is that they're also negotiable. You can negotiate, for example, adding any fees to the loan. That's what's called capping the fees or you can negotiate the frequency of the payment. The payment doesn't necessarily have to be every month. You can potentially negotiate a quarterly payment or an annual payment. I've seen that happen. You can also negotiate deducting the interest from the loan if there is enough in the deal. So 
I just wanted to let you know that we're seeing an increase in the use of private money, but I want you to pay attention to the fine print and also very importantly, understand and validate your exit strategy. Going to a broker or coming to us and indicating that you're going to flip the property or refinance it is not a firm exit. Let me put it this way. We have to run the numbers and make sure that we've planned for the worst case situation. If that property does not sell in time, for example, and you need to hold it, what does that look like? If you're going to refinance it upon the completion of your project, will you actually get the 80% that you think you will get at a 30-year amortization with the lender that you think you're going to qualify with? These are all things we have to validate. I highly suggest you go through that exercise because you don't want to be in a situation where the loan is up for renewal and the private lender decides that they want out because the market has changed or you're getting, you know, charged exuberant fees to stay in the deal. At Streetwise Mortgages, we have expanded our private money practice and we are helping investors right now utilize that type of money effectively to either write this new cycle that we're in or to continue to grow their portfolios. We're lending across Ontario at 80% loan to value at fair pricing and we will help you validate your exit strategy and not leave it as an assumption or a theory. So if you're looking to explore private money, reach out to us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Awesome. Thanks so much. That's uh, great information. And now let's bring in Andrew Chubetta. Andrew, welcome back. How are you? I'm good. How are you, sir? Good, good. Other than financing, this is uh, a, a topic that is so important, but also I enjoy talking about it and I enjoy to, you know, have you on talking about updates and all that good stuff. And you've been on a few times that, you know, we've talked about you as a paralegal, but also you're an investor and you've got a bunch of multifamily and, and you've got some really cool stuff in Ethiopia. So we won't get into that, but if you guys are interested, definitely check Andrew's prior episode. But I don't know, has it been like six months, I think, since you were last on? What's new and exciting? Yeah, uh, I think about six months. And so I just wanted to update mainly the, because that's the big uh, high ticket thing that every investor wants to know is what is like the accurate uh, time frame and timeline of the landlords had a board in this past year. Because, you know, they've done a lot of changes, right? They've uh, increased about 6.5 million worth of uh, funding over to the LTB back in April of 2023, like roughly around there. So they've right. how many How many million? 6.5 mil? 6.5 million, yeah. That Which is like, it's, it, oh, it's that not much. Oh, it's like, it's like, what are you going to do with that? That's all of Ontario. That's for all of Ontario too, right? Mm -hmm. All of Ontario. That's not a lot of money. It's not, right? And the, well, the big thing that they, you wanted to use it for was to sort of escape the, the hiring fees they previously had. So they went and said, okay, 100%, let's hire a bunch of adjudicators just to, you know, increase the ability of this system to sort of get things out as quickly as possible when it goes to that large backlog of orders. So they hired roughly about 40 adjudicators. Now, the interesting thing was that is how, okay, I'll, I'll explain as to how this was ineffective, mainly because of what we've seen from the changing of staffing at the LTP. So they hired 40 people, but they lost a significant amount of adjudicators as well. So it sort of didn't really do much at this point. It's still pretty much the same. They increased 
you know, the amount of, uh, now, so now they're doing night hearings as well. So they're, they're going into late night. So, you know, you can have a hearing from five o'clock onwards. So they are doing that, which is fantastic. It's ne it's certainly needed. But, you know, at this point, what we're seeing is they're, they're not really increasing the amount of staffing. They're not, oh, you know, side with the clerking, tied with the inspection, the offices of the clerks that handle the and process these applications. It's still not enough staff. It's not enough people answering the phones, right? Mm. The wait time, if you call it, could be anywhere between 30 minutes. If you're on a good day, and if on a bad day, it can be two to three hours. So it's still insufficient. There's a significant backlog. I recently, and this is the hilarity of it because it's so inconsistent. You don't really know exactly what matters will be heard quickly and which ones will be a long time. So any, anybody that talks to me about this, I, I really get upset about when they promise, you know, and another investor or a client or something like, oh, you'll get your hearing date in six months or you'll get it in 12 months. That's, that's you know, we sort of judge it from that basis. I've since thrown that out because I've had in most past recent months, I had a matter that I had initial, initially filed back in 2021 come up for a hearing. Wow. And it was filed in July. And we had like the client has since sold the property. Yeah. Right? He's gone, you know, he's moved from the country. Like this was an application we actually, the client forgot about and had sat back because we had filed something called an L3 afterwards. The tenant ended up doing a cash for keys. So they, you know, they vacated. Mm -hmm. um, and that original L2, which was an N12 application, was a buyer moving into the property. It was never withdrawn. So we had sent in a withdrawal application, but it looks like it was never processed. So mm -hmm. it still sat there. And it was from July of 2022. And it's being heard. Get this, January 2024. Wow. So I've, I have to resubmit this withdrawal request. I have to contact the client saying, oh, they never, looks like they never actually, you know, withdrew this. I had this set as withdrawal. Maybe it was a clerical error on our end or something was going on here. Maybe the board didn't receive it, whatever it may be. This application is still going on. We have to deal with it. And uh, contacted the board and it's like, it looks like the, they received the original withdrawal request, but never actually processed it. So it's, it was set down for a scheduled hearing in 2024. Hmm. And Meanwhile, you know, I filed in other matters in 2023. Yeah. I've got the hearing date. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So they spend this money, obviously, and, and from what you are experiencing, obviously, to try to speed things up, it, it hasn't really worked so far. No, not really. Right. There's still outliers. Some some uh, areas, uh, some people tend to receive quicker orders these days. So it depends on the adjudicator, to be honest with you. That's the most clear, like, clear thing. Depending on which adjudicator you get, you can either get an order very fast or very slow, frighteningly slow. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you know, in addition to that, uh, the the manner of which people are actually obtaining hearing dates is there's no rhyme or reason to it. Initially, we it used to be better to be believe it or not, it actually used to be better when we could contact our colleagues, other paralegals, I, you know, I work with, and you know, some we can sort of judge just through the amount of files so, that are inside our portal. So. You know, in our in our portal, you can see through over 300 types of applications through you know, multiple different clients. Now, if you're looking at all of them, mm -hmm. you'll see that it's generally speaking six to eight months. I would very much agree that to be a very accurate figure of just obtaining your hearing. I really would. But out of that would be 70 to 80 percent. That's roughly what it is. But the 10 percent, that 10 percent between the 90, it's like it goes into a black hole. And that's it. There's like, you don't know what is, what's going on with it. You don't know where it, when it's going to be serviced, like nothing. And that's the aggravation because you go through 
you know, just times that by a thousand and you have all these applications, that 10% is no longer a tiny sort of number. It's hundreds of applications that have just not been heard yet. And that's right. what I, that's what I have. And I've seen at this point with a couple of them. I mean, it's not like hundred matters, but 20, 30 applications. I can definitely tell you for, for my own sense, from my own applications that I've seen. Yeah, I know there's a couple of files there that have just been sitting there for a multitude of time for no real reason as to why. It's so just there's no, there's no reason why that happens. Like you could just have a file and then you just randomly are the one that has to mm -hmm. spend yeah, a lot yeah. extra time. Yeah. Obviously, screening tenants is, is important. What are you seeing in terms of like, what are the applications for? Are they for non-payment of rent? Are they for like a house selling, the tenants not moving, renovations? Like, what are you seeing on your end? Biggest two are uh, property selling. That's the first one. The second one is non-payment of rent. Age-old non-payment of rent, just, it's just always the, the biggest applications at this point. This is just the way it is. But if you're looking at direct, so it's N12s are the largest, and then, uh, sorry, yeah. N4s are the largest, N12s are the secondary. And then from there, you have your N5s, N6s, N7s. I sort of grouped them all together. But, mm -hmm. you know, your nuisance, damaged, uh, destruction of property, that kind of thing. And then finally, directly after that, your N13s. So your applications for renovation and, you know, change of designation, that type of thing. And what people don't know is the board actually focuses on certain types of applications it can do it and has done it previously well they've you know they have this you know the quarterly sort of stakeholders meeting where they've said well you know what this month we're going to focus on n13s or we're going to focus on n4s they recently said that about n4s so they're being really pressing on those because they need to get them done because right. you know people are losing their money in their jobs right so it's not it can be a very big issue for for well i would think the, the largest issue for a landlord but the the smaller applications like for example agis there's some AGIs that haven't been heard for several years. So that's why people say, like, you know, the six to eight months, that is, it's not misleading, but it's not curate because those AGIs haven't been heard because the board is, frankly speaking, it's not a priority. AGIs, Sorry, what's, you know, what's AGIs stand for? Above guideline increase. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, someone looking for an additional couple hundred dollars a month on the rental. So those applications, you can very much apply. I've spoken with some clerks and some other practitioners as well. They've had AGIs from 2020, 2019, haven't been heard yet. And these are so, like, for example, like if you want to redo a kitchen and you want to get a five, and I don't even feel like the above guideline increases are even that much, right? Like aren't those capped yeah. as well to a certain they're, percentage they're, max? Like what's the cap? Oh. Um, I, I mean, we can we could find it. We can find out later. But not, from yeah. what I remember, it was like what, like five or six percent or something. Something like, like that. Yeah, it's not a lot. It's yeah. not a lot. It's like the difference with a couple hundred bucks. And I mean, I mean, if you're doing it with thirty three units, yeah, makes sense to do it. Does financially speaking, hmm. but at the same time, it's just like it just takes too long. You're yeah. like one unit. If you're looking at thirty three units, you're doing AGI. One unit turnover will be worth it more. One. And yep. with 33 units, the likelihood of that happening within four years is certainly a lot higher, right? So, and so you're only really doing an AGI if you're rent controlled. And mm -hmm. you're only rent controlled if you're in certain areas of Toronto, certain areas of Pickering, that type of thing, where it, you know, the rental unit is set directly to the unit, not to the tenant. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, I know there's CMHC financing that's sort of tied to those types of things. I don't know, financing is not really my thing. That's kind of deeper in that multi-unit commercial space. Yeah. But, the, you know, there's requirements that these builders are having to adhere to for rent control. So that makes sense for them, but it does mm -hmm. not make sense for a regular landlord. Like, why would you do that? That makes no sense. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. 
Are you interested in coming to a really cool event? We are actually hosting a first and only speed networking event at Hagerty's on September 21st from 7 to 8.30. If you are interested in getting back out there networking, this is going to be for business owners, entrepreneurs, investors. We're going to switch it up this month. So September 21st, more details at midtermrentalproperties.com or send me a message if you would like more info and I can send you the link. We are um, selling tickets super cheap. They are just $25 um, and because we do want to have uh, lots of people there networking with each other, doing deals together, you know, building your network because as they say, your network is your net worth. So now back to the show. Yeah, I think you're referring to the MLI program, right? That CMHC yes. came out with. And then there's certain points that you can get. And if you get, you know, up to 100 points, it could literally mean 50% or 50 grams and 95% loan to value on exit. So potentially they can make sense. And I know one of the ways to do it was obviously those affordable units, but you, you could actually get the points from an, an energy and environmentally friendly units with the points as well. I know we're doing that with our, our Barton Street one where we're actually getting a, a hundred points just on it being more energy efficient. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it can be a good program. Okay. So, so that's, you know, the N4s, the N12s that you're seeing a lot at the board. I know you just did an N12 for me recently. And, and if we would have waited, legit, I think yeah. you filed that in May, it would have actually taken up until February of the following year. Luckily, the tenants ended up leaving. But anyways, you know, more on that story. It does have a happy ending, but it was, you know, it all, it all worked out, but it was kind of annoying because like it gives you a wake up call of like if you're filing in May and your hearing is not even until February, there's a lot of people that are going to be very frustrated. And I think you know, I love this industry and I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for real estate investing, but they're not making it enticing for new landlords to come into Ontario. Yeah, it's shocking because I, I get a lot of flack from the tenant crowd because I have very sort of, say, stricter sort of principles on <laughs> this type of thing. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, the citizen action groups like Acorn and that kind of thing. They believe fundamentally the housing should be a right. Right. Mm. You know, it should be something provided by the government, that type of thing. If that's what your ideology is, 100%, I completely can respect it. I really can. I may not agree with it, but I certainly can respect it. I can understand it. There's a lot of Nordic countries that do this type of thing, and there's a lot of countries that can have significant benefit for that. But the current situation that you're in right now, the type of person that, that provides multifamily units, six, seven, eight, 12, that kind of thing, and not effort trust or these large, <laughs> huge corporations like BlackRock in America and that kind of thing. You know, those landlords sort of need to be taken care of because there's not that many. <laughs> there's not there's a lot of them in in you know in, in grouping. But these this type of legislation and it's the delay that's the big thing. Like that's the thing. Like I, I would push back against landlords a little bit when it came to, you know the effectiveness of using the RTA to dealing with a difficult situation at the board or dealing with difficult situations with, with your tenant. You actually have quite a few options to deal with an, with an issue with a tenant. You really do. The problem is since it takes so long to get to an actual judicial, judicial hearing, that, is, that ends up burning all those, uh, all those protections for the landlord. If you're waiting 12 months, you've lost. It doesn't matter. Like mm -hmm. You have zero control whatsoever. As it comes to being a landlord, so if you, regardless if you're if you're dealing with a, a tenant that's paying consistently late on rent, if you have an issue with non-payment of rent, if you have an issue with dealing with a sale of a property, with a renovation of the property, whatever, having that you know the, the actual process be 
a three-month process or a four-month process to completion mm-hmm. or and in, in everything else in between, no one would be complaining. Yeah, true. Yes, and I mean, like, I mean, aside from the whole RTA thing, just like in terms of building new units, because like, look, it's half half a million, million, half a million immigrants per year coming into this country. And like you said, right, I know some people think that it should be a fundamental right, but the government is not going to be building no. all of the properties we need. It, it just, it, it, they don't know how. I think they are very wasteful in, in how they spend their money um, and they're not going to do it. So it, it is up to us. And I think it's still a very good investment. However, you know, the 12 months or 10 months of waiting is, I think, deterring a lot of people out of the business. Obviously, tenant screening and, and that kind of stuff is, is critical. I think a lot of people are actually going to midterm and short-term rentals because of that. And they would rather, you know, be more selective in shorter term types of rentals, student rentals, that kind of stuff. But it's, yeah. Now, did you, I don't want to date the podcast, but did you see the flack that Trudeau is getting recently over the housing issue? Did you see that? I feel like he's getting lots of sl- flack. Yeah. Lot so ba- like, what, what is it? So basically, he, he, you know, he, they had a, you know, access to housing is a really big issue. You know, I, and the, the, the amount of rent people are paying. Was it how much money he was paying, he was going to spend for like not that many properties? Oh, yeah. yeah that's is exactly that what he was referring to. Yeah. 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 And who do you think is picking up that slack? It's right. not like these large companies. It's the small landlords that are directly dealing with this issue. They're exactly. actually there in the trenches and it, there's not enough units. And it's like, what's incentivizing these people to purchase more units, single family, duplex, et cetera, to get more rental units and deal with the problem and actually offer stock? You have a very, you have a pressure cooker. You don't have enough units and you also have an expansive process to deal with situations and issues. It's like, no, there's no side that should be happy about this. If you're on the left, then you're certainly not upset about the time it takes to actually get to a hearing if you're dealing with an absentee landlord, but you're certainly still issue, dealing issue with high amounts of rent. And the alternative is you're still dealing with issues with go- taking a tenant to the landlord tenant board if you have a, a professional tenant, you know, an issue with a nuisance, et cetera, or you just want to sell it and you want to get the tenant out of there because a new buyer's moving in. It's right. still a problem. But yeah. also, at the, fundamentally speaking, you still have a shortage of housing stock. And interest rates are increasing. So it's like everything's just gone to trash. So you're, if you're a solo landlord, it's not the best time right now. That's and, you know, funny. it's just ridiculous. It's like, what are these people thinking? The way they behave is, it's just unbelievable. Thinking it's just things are going to just sort of fall into place and everything will be fine. It's like, no, I, I think both, it's going to get a lot. things are falling well, apart. It's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. But I think this is the opportunity for some of us to be able to strike while while everyone else is kind of waiting on the sidelines. But what I was going to say, and I don't think I finished my original thought, is it's not just the RTA and the LTB. This was a while ago. Sometimes I do this. But it's all the freaking fees that we have to pay in order to convert and the costs, right? I mean, like a 22-unit building that we're doing in Hamilton. Originally, the development and the parkland fees in total were about 600000 we are not going to absorb the cost. It's going to go back to the tenants. So like at some point, anyways, at some point it went from 600 to about like high twos, which, but it's still high. And then that's not even the renovation cost. That's like, so like, of course the rents are going to go, go up. Like we, we would like to keep them low, but if we have to recoup our costs, like we're in this as a business, this is, you know, we are not, we're not providing free houses. We are not the government and we will never be the government. And we're doing this for you know, profits and, you know, providing nice, clean homes, but also for a profit. And that's just the reality of it. But these fees are, are not conducive to creating more units either. And it's going to be interesting how it plays out because I'm even looking at the rents from two years ago versus today and, and comparing some markets. And I'll tell you, I don't know how many more people are going to be able to afford this. It is like, it is 
quite high in many of these markets versus like people can't even move anymore. No wonder you're getting so many N12s. Somebody's selling their house. Yeah, well, rates have gone up so much. Why would like many people are like, why would I want to keep it? It's cash flow negative and they don't want to do it for the long run. And then so they sell and then obviously the, the tenant can't find anything remotely close. So they try to stay and wait for their hearing. This is what I'm seeing a lot of and I'm hearing a lot of and I'm sure you are too. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the reality, like, I, I completely understand it. If people are, if you're selling a property and the tenant doesn't go, it's, it can be catastrophic for the buyer as well. So, so all parties sort of need to know what they're getting into before the sale goes through if there's a tenant at the property. And these days, if you're listing a property as a realtor and you put on MLS that you've got a realtor in it, it's pretty much like a death knell for them. So they're really trying to avoid the, those types of those listings. But that being said, if you're in this position and you're dealing with this situation, it's like it's a lose for everyone. Like the tenant ends up have paying significantly more in rent because they have to go somewhere. It doesn't matter how long they've been there. The rent has gone up by that. Two years, a year, still gone up. And then for the seller, you now has to wait six to seven months for the closing and all those issues in the buyer. If you've got your own sale going on at the same time, you're trying to hold that one behind. So you got this daisy chain issue of all these problems, everyone trying to close. So the one tenant can cause a significant issue if they don't vacate. But I, you know, I, I'm not lost. So I completely understand it. It's, it's a bad situation for everyone just mm -hmm. going into it because just the board and it's not even the laws behind it are I would really argue against. It's mostly about how long everything takes. It, yeah, a seasoned practitioner, lawyer, paralegal can deal with a lot of these issues just being in front of an adjudicator. But a lot of times you just can't get in front of it. The number one thing I say in my office is I apologize. I, I can't provide you update at this moment because I don't have a hearing date as of yet. So we've done everything actionable that we can, That's but we're, we're just simply waiting for the hearing date at this point. That is the same thing I say every single day to about 40 clients every day, right? So yeah. it's, I mean, it's not a good position as to be in right now if you're a, a, a landlord. It's like, you know, I say this a lot, but I, I don't know what it is with, with some investors and some landlords. They actually don't pay attention to like those fees and those dues and things sort of increasing. Like I, I, I mean, in Hamilton right now, they're now pushing to ban N13's completely renovation. Really? Yeah, that's one of the big things there. Like I know Acorn and some other some other citizen action groups are pushing for just to stop all rent evictions whatsoever. So that's the that's your N13, that's your conversion. So your mm -hmm. conversion of your units from commercial over to residential. They don't want that either. Yeah, right. Right. So they 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 are like, and to me, I'm just sort of shocked by it because your incentive, like no contractor is gonna do work with the tenant in there. Most won't, they just flat out will refuse the job. So if you have a landlord there trying yeah. to get the property rental from a slum. If they've purchased mm -hmm. it, it's very difficult. And, you know, most of these tenants are not going to leave anyway. So you're, you're putting an impossible situation into the market. What do you think is going to happen? It's, it, there's nothing of good benefit that this is going to occur if you sort of, you ban the practice of a renovation, right? If you're looking to, to lock rental rates, do that. But this version, it's, it's not a good one. And you're seeing that with licensing as well, right? They're putting well, in more things. That and then investors will just go elsewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like there's going to be a point where investors will just say, okay, if it's that difficult, why bother? I'm going to take my money. I'm going to invest it, you know, in a different asset class, like commercial financing or commercial real estate, industrial real estate, student rentals, maybe, you know, those come in and out, Airbnbs, midterm rentals out of, you know, out of province. There's other options. Like I, I think at the end of the day, I think they forget that we're resourceful. So if they don't want our business and they prevent the profits from happening with everything that they could, okay. There is resource, like we are resourceful. And unfortunately, like you said, the tenants are going to be the ones that end up with the short end of the stick because there's going to be even less opportunity 
the real estate, you know, the current properties are just going to keep going down and down and they're, they're going to be less and less livable yeah. uh, because, you know, why would somebody upgrade them? But we'll see. We'll see. I mean, like it's, it's tough to, to envision that actually coming into effect, but you never know. From a, from an N12 perspective, I just want to go back to that because I think, you know, a lot of people are like, should I sell and buy more? Should I just sell? If you have tenants in a place and you are thinking of selling your property, what are some things that they should maybe ensure is included in the agreement of purchase and sale as the seller and some things to be conscious about? Yeah. So first things first, you know, don't have a conversation with the tenant that you're selling. Just don't do that. Don't do a cash for keys attempt. It never works. So don't even try. That 1% get, ends up working, but everybody else just looks up landlord tenant board law and they take a look at you know all the things on there and they immediately come back to you with $20,000. So don't even offer it. What you should be doing is when the sale goes through, right? The first thing that you would place, if you're a realtor, this is something you would put inside your schedule A under the terms. If you're just a buyer investor, just sort of, you should know this or sort of explain it to your realtor. What it should be, so it's a common term to it is called a push clause. It wasn't me that named it. I just sort of heard about it, but Basically, what it says is something like the seller or buyer warrants that the appropriate residential forms, you know, N12, et cetera, will be provided to the tenant. And the seller and buyer sort of in between will push the deal continuously up until such time vacant possession can be required, right? And you're not assuming the tenancy. That's usually what people will do. And the deal will just sort of extend continuously over and over. Or if you want to process or have an understanding with the buyer or seller, that we, you can extend, but you'll have to extend for multiple months. And if they want to drop out, they certainly can drop out. You can also do it that way. But nobody can be pushing for vacant possession. So this is always a contention. Like, And I know some of my colleagues in real estate law even don't really sort of know about the, the changes uh, to the laws and the RTA regarding this, because this has gone up as high as divisional court and, and continue to gone up there. The buyer and seller are placed in an impossible situation. The buyer can't close on the property because it's not vacant and the seller can't provide vacant possession. The reality of it is neither party is at fault if that happens, mm -hmm. right? You're basically asking for something that nobody is in the ability to get, right? The seller right. can't offer it to you and you agreed to it. And, and the buyer put us in an offer that was impossible, right? Legally speaking, it's just they can't do it. So it has to be that closing day has to be within six to seven months for it to even really be justifiable. And then after the deal has gone through, it's confirmed, it's firm. Okay, great. Then you go to your tenant, provide them with the N12, provide them with a check, provide them with the deal and tell them you have options. If you want to do a cash for keys and leave earlier, I can close on this earlier. If you don't, it'll go to the LTB. They'll deal with it there. And then from there, if it's necessary for you to be vacated from the property, you will. Yeah. So, and you say check, it's one month's rent that we are now due to give to them before you know, whatever that, that timeline on, I think it's six or 60 days, right? For the end, yeah. you've got to give them the one month's rents. And that's just fairly new. I think last couple of years that was implemented. And so that's what you mean with the check. And if you don't, then essentially like you've got to do your forms like and your steps accordingly, because if you don't even provide that check before those 60 days, even if it's going to court, like your whole case could be thrown out. Yeah. And people don't understand. Like That's the big thing with landlords and N12s. They think they can do it alone. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of things that's in the legislation that's not in the instruction manual. Like I said, like it says within the RTA, you have to provide one month's worth of rent. What people take that as is I'll give rent for free. It's like, mm -hmm. that's not what you're not, you're not providing value there. You're actually just abating something. That's not what it is. You have to give a check. It's like, okay. Or you have to give the funds. It's like, okay. A check is actually not funds. It's a promise of funds. So they'll give a personal check and that won't work. It won't be considered as, as process. So you have to provide a certified check. Right. 
it's like, if it's an e-transfer, you have to show that it's been deposited, mm-hmm. right? And because the tenant may not have received it, et cetera. So you're only really left with an option, which is providing a certified check to the address, you know, with tracking, et cetera, or just giving it to the person if you're serving it yourself. And you got to do it within the, the termination period. So people will do this. They'll hear the first part. They won't hear the second part. And they'll just serve the te- serve the check six months later. And then it goes to the board. And they went, oh, you did everything correctly, except you didn't do it in the time frame. And they'll kick the, the application. And it's like a lot of my colleagues make this mistake too, right? So yeah. it's, you know, people think this process is easy. Oh, Lord have mercy, it's not. It's a lot of nuances that you have to sort of follow. This is why I don't let my clients do anything once they hire us. It's just you, we follow the set time frame and the flow and then mm-hmm. that's it. The rest is automated, right? And, you're, and you hope to do a cash for keys. You really do because it's better for the client. But ultimately speaking, you can be inside some pretty bad jams at this point. So I think at this point, though, like if you were to wait, you know, your eight, nine, 12 months, whatever it takes for your N12. And I think, you know, without going into too many details, you know, the N11 and even in our situation with a little bit of cash for keys likely helps if your tenant is really trying to wait their timeline out. What is different about an N11 between, you know, between that versus a lot of the other forms? So N11 is an agreement, right? So it's simplest terms, uh, as I can boil it down, it's just basically a contract, right? Both parties agree that on this particular date, this person is going to leave. Now you can use the regular N11 form and file it with something called an L3, which is what you should do if you ever sign one, costs only about $186, something or the other. And uh, you'll be able to get an order that says that the tenant's supposed to be vacating within a certain date. And if they don't go, you can use it with the sheriff and remove them from the property. A lot of people will just sign the N11 and they won't do anything with it. And mm-hmm. then it ends up afterwards, you know, going to the board because there's miscommunication between the two parties, right? One person understood one thing, the other person didn't. And then that N11 can be pretty much useful, useless because you, you didn't have a real agreement there. There was no real meeting in the minds. So that entire uh, agreement could be thrown out. Plus, in addition to that, if you don't file it, tenant, if, if you're filing it early and he's supposed to leave or she's supposed to leave inside, let's say, February of 2026, it could get halfway there. And that person could say, you know what, that agreement, I don't want to do it anymore. That's okay, so I want to take a step back. So let's just say you signed an 11 with your tenant today, right? Yeah. When do you go file it right away? Um, yeah, today. If you sign it today, you file it today. So you file it today, you pay the 186. Where do you go to file it? So you can go off to the Landlord and Tenant Board portal, the website. They've since changed a lot of things with it, but uh, mm-hmm. you can go onto the, the website and you file something called an L3. Okay. And I'll have a little declaration there. You'll say, I agree with my tenant that this date they're leaving. I gave them X amount of dollars. If that's the case. And then you file it and then you'll receive an order quicker than a regular application. So about three, four weeks kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, horror stories. I've waited like seven months for that kind of thing. But that being said, you should receive it quicker than most applications. And then if they don't leave at the, at the termination date, you can go to the sheriff. That's it. Right. So and you have uh, to file it in order to be able to go to the sheriff. Yeah. That's, and, I, I think that's really important because I think a lot of people just have the paper and I don't know if they actually really do anything with it after. No. Yeah. And it's so like, I, I don't know why landlords do that. It's so irresponsible. It's like, give, you know, you have a $400,000 asset, $600,000 asset, but you would take the keys to your Ferrari and hand it to someone who has no competency whatsoever. Makes no sense, right? But that's what these people are doing. They'll just give the they'll just give the keys out to a tenant without background check, etc. It's like this is one of the faults that te- that landlords make that mm. just makes no sense. Costs one hundred eighty six dollars. File it because yeah. the the date is going to be further down the line, and you get close to that date. That tenant says, "I'm not leaving now." You know, since I've signed it, I'm, I'm not going to go. I'm sorry, I can't. 
because of whatever reason. And you've now set deadlines. You may have another tenant moving in. You may have contractors coming. You've spent a lot of money, whatever it may be. You've mm -hmm. sold the property, right? And you're now in hot water because that tenant's not going to go. It's like, if you had filed it, you wouldn't be in this position in the first place. And there's a 30-day appeal on all orders from the board. So most tenants, if they're going to renege on a contract, will do that closer to the date. They won't do it two, three months beforehand. Right. So if you had filed it in mm. when exactly the day you done it, that period, that 30 day period has long since passed. What makes it twice as hard for someone to renege on it? It's because mm. it's basically set in stone. So it can be very difficult for to appeal five months, six months down the line. Most adjudicators, you know, I can't say for certain because adjudicators are adjudicators, but you know, it's a lot more difficult to appeal something like that past the technical threshold. So that's good to know. know. So, yeah. so how do you actually get a sheriff out? Like, what is that process? Like, where do you even go to get a sheriff? Yeah. Okay. So if you're in Toronto, which is the behemoth, you're going to go to the courthouse on University Avenue, 393, I believe. And then if you're in Hamilton, you'll be going to the Johnson Pinka courthouse, right? So you're looking for something called the office of enforcement that, and where that's where the sheriff is. And most fees will cost you about $300. It's a simple one page form. You take the form. You know, you sort of put the addresses in, the file number, et cetera. You sign it, you pay the 300 something odd dollars, and then they'll either call you or they'll send you an email about the date. Different courthouses have different processes. So everyone thinks the same thing is, you know, the same thing you're going to get everywhere. No. Some courthouses will give you the date that day, that moment, that time frame. If you do this like in Guelph, Windsor, you'll start to see that because it's, there's not that many evictions. But if you're in Toronto, the TSL dockets, no. They'll give you a time frame. And then they'll call you at some point, right? And they just instigated that. People that have been listening to this that have done evictions before then, you would just give it to them and they would call you at some point. They wouldn't even tell you what time frame. So you won't know. Hamilton's sort of the same thing, but it's not bad. You know, you're waiting four to five days for that call and they'll tell you exactly when it's going to be. So it's not difficult in Hamilton, but different areas, different sort of expectations. So if they hire you, let's just say you do the N11, uh, you file it, like, are you like a part of your package? And maybe you can walk us through that. Does that also include meeting the sheriff and organizing the sheriff and everything? Or is that separate? Usually it does, if that's what the investor wants. Now, if sometimes we don't know if we're going to use the sheriff. So I, I will usually refrain from doing that beforehand. Unless, unless I know that person is a difficult person. I know for sure. But most of the time it's not. And the sheriff fees about 300 something odd dollars. My time when it comes to actually going to the property, which can be about an hour and a half, that kind of thing, because we know exactly when it's going to be. And then I don't charge for actually drafting the actual filing for the for the sheriff's eviction because it's, it's a two-second document, right? It shouldn't, shouldn't cost anything for the client. So usually speaking, it costs, can cost as little as $100, $150 just for us to attend and deal with the issue while uh, the investor's out doing whatever they're necessarily doing. And then sometimes I've had some matters that I went with the sheriff and there was a full dust-up, police were called, fights, I had someone pull a gun on me at one point. There's a lot of things that can stretch out within that time frame. So sometimes mm -hmm. I can be there for an hour or I can be there for six. So I sort of explain it to the client before. And if it passed that one hour mark, then they just end up, ending, end up being billed at the 175 per hour at that point. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that your prices are really reasonable. Like if you were to do an N12 and like go to the court as an example or, you know, an N13, while we still can do them. Like what does that look like from a fee standpoint and support standpoint from your firm? Yeah, so ours, ours, our standard application is roughly about 1900 plus tax per application. 
And then that covers everything, including the court fees until the date of the, the trial, the first one. And then after that, we'll have to discuss it with the client on, on an as person basis, you know, so each one can determine what exactly needs to be done because, you know, you may to refile an application and maybe adjourn date. It could be a, a host of things that for, for, if we're going to a second or third application or second or third hearing, depending, right? I have one right now. The longest file I've ever had is one from 2019. And I've been to seven, seven dates and it's still not done. So, so this package is includes one date, like for like one hearing, essentially. One hearing, yeah. And hopefully, you know, that happens in one, but it doesn't always ha happen in one. Yeah, usually not. For a new hearing, I typically will charge a client 500, because that's usually how long it'll take. And then whatever's not used just gets refunded. If I'm there for only 15 minutes at a hearing, the remaining just goes back to them if it's not necessary to use. The reason why we offer that service at a competitive price point, mm -hmm. the, the reason why, mainly speaking, is there, there's an overabundance of issues. It's, a lot of, it's one of the reasons why a lot of paralegals don't charge for consultations as well. It's just, there's just too many problems and not enough of us, unfortunately. There's not that many practicing representatives. If you mm -hmm. look at the amount of people inside the landlord tenant board per day, there's 60 to 70, you know, applications per day that are heard per block, sometimes 90 gets that high. And most of them are unrepresented. Hmm. You know, you only have six or seven practitioners in there and you'll see the amount of numbers next to their name because they'll be there on 11 applications. But even still, it's a drop in the bucket. Very small percentage are, are represented by actual paralegals or, or other lawyers, et cetera. And, you know, there needs to be more at this yeah. point because the issues are just like growing. They're not getting smaller. Like I'm at, as of right now, I will only take matters from referral because I'm at capacity. My colleagues, Glenn and Angie are still available, but I am at capacity mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And if you look at even we have on our fact sheet on our website, all of our pricing for each application. So if anyone is interested, you can certainly go and take a look. But even still, I don't run, we don't run advertising. We don't run any real, you know, significant web presence, et cetera, apart from, you know, yours truly and everything else. But that's, that's just the way it sort of goes because there's just an overabundance worth of work. Uh, yeah it's yeah just and, I, and i would say like you know out of anything that you're going to cheap out on don't cheap out on paralegal and paperwork because like yeah. you're waiting a long time and if you mess that up you're waiting for another eight months right like it's not like it's just nuts so this is where you know pay the cost to ensure you have proper representation whether it's with you know you andrew or angie or glenn because these are not errors that you know, could be mitigated quickly. These are going to be taking a lot more, you know, a lot more time. And especially if your tenants are in there and they don't leave and they are not paying, you know, one little tiny error on a paper or not giving them the proper check for the end. Well, like that literally could, that mean you got to go back to court and then you get a new date and, you know, like you never know what that timeline's going to look like either. Yeah. Anyone that doesn't use a representative, it's like they're taking a lot of risk simply because of the time frame, right? Again, like this is like the same adage, you know, you're giving keys to a, a Ferrari out to a random person. It's like, why would you do that? You wouldn't fill your Ferrari up with, with you know, cooking oil. That's not yeah. what you would do. You put yeah. your, the best possible situation that you're in. Yeah. And it's like, these things stretch on for months and months. So why would you not use a representative from the beginning? It just makes no sense. At least in my opinion, as an investor myself, right? So mm -hmm. I always sort of advocate for that. Before, I would have said that most landlords can do enforce for non-payment or rent on their own. I don't do that anymore. There's a lot of investors that are here that have been, or so are listening to this, that have been to mm -hmm. the landlord and board, have dealt with it, et cetera. Yeah. The vast majority of, of investors that do N4s lose on their own. 
Yeah. Or at least like work work with you guys to do your their first one, right? So that they know yeah. how to do it properly and, and they can at least consult with you and stuff like that moving forward. So mm-hmm. so I know you're an investor in Ethiopia. Are you also investing in Ontario? Mm-hmm. Heavily. Oh yeah. So I think but I think that's interesting because I know this whole show was about all the stuff that can happen, but I'll I'll tell you in being in this for a decade now, I've been doing this for for 10 years. That's a very small percentage of issues that you deal with. And the majority of the tenants are actually pretty good. And then once in a while, you get some that, you know, even with the best screening can still fall through the cracks regardless. But it is good to hear that you're still investing in Ontario because I still believe that it's a a great market with some great opportunity. And it's just a matter of like maneuvering through the hurdles that we're given and being resourceful to find opportunities. What are you specifically investing in Ontario? Multifam. Okay. At this point, yeah, anything above five units, six units around there. That's usually what I'm taking a look at this point. And still conversions. I don't do them as much, but conversions, du- mm-hmm. you know, single families, the duplexes, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. That's still good depending on, you know, I'm a big proponent that good deals are made. They're not found. Like okay. that's, that doesn't exist anymore. If you want to find agree. a good deal, go back to 2005. That's where you're going to find. Uh, but these days, if you want to, if you want to get some value there, you can make it. You can find mm-hmm. it and make it. That's the way you can do it. Um, and that's, you're not going to get that in a lot of other provinces. It's a lot more difficult. Uh, if you're, you know, just saying, I don't want to deal with these issues and you have a lot of capital, like some investors have, I, I have heard of those people moving to Calgary and Alberta, et cetera, because financially speaking, they can make a lot more deals with that kind of money over that area. But if you're a smaller investor, smaller landlord, yeah, no, it's, I'm very much doom and gloom because I, I deal with a very you see it every tiny day. percentage. I, I see that. I don't. No one ever calls me because they have a great tenant, right? I don't no. see those landlords. And this the, every time I hear, I was like, is this the first time you're evicting someone? Oh, yeah. That's the thing I hear the, the most, mm. right? So I, it's very rare that we have like repeat customers. These repeat customers are the large investors. So mm. if you're not in that boat, the likelihood you're going to deal with these is very low. So, you know, I, I was still, you can't knock the appreciation. And student rentals are doing well. The big thing for me is midterm rentals. I can't knock that at all right now. It's, and there's like, I know some places are doing licensing now, which yeah. I disagree with, but you know, single midterm rental could net five, seven, eight thousand dollars $8,000 per month. Are they trying to license midterms? What are they doing? Yeah. In Kingston, they're just placing new licensing for short term and now they're moving to, to midterm. So the, yeah, there's a lot more people that are really interested in it and they're growing rapidly. I would say it's a space that's growing the most rapid. Just it's the, the profit margin. That new law came, like the case law came into effect that sort of centralized them. And you, you can now actually option out midterm rentals and protect it a lot easier with the RTA. So it's it's not everyone's, it's like the gold rush right now. You're seeing just a bunch of midterm rentals <laughs> on the market. I went, this seems, I think I know the person that first started this. It's like, that's really interesting. But now you're seeing like in Ottawa, Nipissing, yeah, yeah. getting calls from the middle of nowhere. I think it's going to be harder to track, though, because, I mean, look, if you're on a platform like Airbnb, VRBO, whatnot, maybe, but there's a lot of off-market midterms now, and there's a lot of placements that we do totally off-platforms. And so good luck, you know, <laughs> to, for them to, to find a way to regulate it. I'm sure they will at some point because they want to, you know, get, make their tax and their yeah. money in, in every capacity. But I still think we have some leeway with it. And I also think, like, how would they really, like, if someone's in there for six months or three months, like, I don't know, I'd, ra- I'd rather ask for forgiveness, but I think it's, I think we've got some time for that. But you're talking about the case law that came out June 17th, I think it was, right, where there was uh, somebody in, in an Airbnb for 10 months and it actually went to court and it was voted in favor of the landlord 
uh, and that actually helps with your case law um, as well in your end day. Yeah, everyone pre like I know certainly for my colleagues that that I work with, and along with some other individuals and other colleagues, they all saw that decision and all went, "Oh, okay, thank God." Yeah. Right? It's like because yeah. a lot of us have been advising our clients on this type of situation, but it's difficult to do so because it's sort of this gray area as of right now. The legislation yeah. hasn't really caught up, but once the case law came out, it's like okay, well then now this is. This gives us a lot more confidence that this is not going to blow up in an investor's face. But it is; it still comes with a lot of warning because a, a lot of investors just, entrepreneurs are fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I am one as well. But every one of us thinks that we can be an electrician and then like cook and then everything, mm-hmm. everything else. This is not one of those things to do on your own without consultation, without legal advice. Don't do it. It's not a good decision. Yeah. Um, the laws change rapidly depending on which municipality that you're in down to the, the potential neighborhood. Right, something on lower beaches or upper beaches in Toronto is going to have a different law from downtown Scarborough, mm-hmm. right? So it's just don't do that, don't go down that road. But it it is getting. If you're asking my opinion, where I would potentially not want to be my own client because I don't like evicting people because I know the process, and I want to have the biggest bang for my buck and protect myself for the most, it would be with midterm rentals mm-hmm. at this point, where I would actually look because it's. And you can work with a lot of referred partners. Don't think capitalism can't go with very much helping existing people. The biggest sector of midterm rentals growing right now is actually the medical field. It's mm-hmm. uh, potential, it's patient care, right? These beds that need to be provided uh, from the, the, the hospitals and they need to move people to assisted living or you know, transitional. That's the big thing in, in you know, long-term facilities. And you need to place someone not in the hospital but not in long-term care yet, but right. they may see, need medical assistance. So mm-hmm. they're on a wait list, like on these government sort of organizations. So, you know, if you're your significant other or your mm-hmm. grandparents trying to look in, your midterm rental works very well. I'll, I'll tell you, I, so midterm rentals is definitely my favorite rental strategy. And I take a look at my units right now. All of them are like one of them is rented until the end of the year, like solid with like two, two guests, you know, with a bunch of months each. The other one is like they've been there for, I don't know, three or four months already. They're checking out the next day. Someone's checking in, you know, until October, you know, and we're in August right now. So, you know, our Hamilton one, we've got, you know, booked solid with people coming in for a film and they're actually like makeup artists. And so there there's three of them. I mean, I'll tell you that to me, it's a gold mine. I think it's still so untapped. I think it's still so new. But, you know, you guys have helped us a lot because like you created our agreement because you cannot do a standard lease. You gave us some insights because like even just like making sure that there's no keys given, like these are all keypads. Like there's certain things that you want to make sure as much as possible to make it seem and look and feel uh, like a commercial space, not so much a residential type of tenant place. And sometimes I see, you know, because I sometimes I follow some different groups and they have this language with like tenants and rent. And I'm like, oh no, Andrew would say no to all of that. You can't use the yeah. same language. Gotta yeah. be, you know, guests and that kind of stuff. So, you know, if, if someone's interested, I definitely recommend that they have a meeting with you first to set it up if they're doing it by themselves or reach out to us, you know, for the midterm rental piece. But you're also doing, are you setting up a tenant screening sector of your business as well? Can we talk about that? Or is that still kind of in the works? Yeah, it's, in still in the works. We can't talk about it. It's I'm as of right now formulating where it sort of goes to because I really do want to keep it separate from the law firm, you know, that we run. So it might be its own sort of standalone sort of organization. But ultimately speaking, the big thing I tell every investor is you can skimp out in two ways, right? 
You can skip up and skip out your legal fees, but you had better damn be paying for a good property manager. That's what you're not going to do, right? Mm-hmm. Or you can pay for a really good representative and manage the stuff on your own. You do that. But that money is going with somebody. And last time I checked, I charged more than a property manager. So you might as well use that. Get a good one, right? And use that option. And the number one thing is tenant screening. That's the one number one thing I even suggested people mm. to use property managers for. It's not actually the management of the property. It's just getting a good tenant. Yeah. That's the most important thing. It's more important than your foundation, right? So just doing that, you'll have a lot of it easier. Your property will be brighter. The maintenance will be taken care of. Why would you not want to deal with that? So when it comes to tenant screening, I set up, we were setting up a company as of right now. It's still in the preliminary stages. So we're looking to execute on the actual company and, and, and providing service to the general public within the next three or four months. And, you know, we'll provide reports on tenants when before they're being placed into the properties. We'll do the screening. We'll contact former landlords, et cetera. And it is a very labor-intensive process. Um, I know the big thing with, with a lot of different opposing markets, I know a lot of the realtors place tenants in, in properties as well. Don't get me wrong. They do a fantastic job. You can have really great, really great investors who are also realtors as well. But you have to spend a lot of time on not just closing the deal. You have to place it on screenings as individuals. The vacancy rate is the vacancy rate. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, if you want to wait three months and not deal with an LTV issue and get a, just a good tenant, that's what you should be doing. But that's not how people, that's not how investors look at it. They say every month I'm not getting rent, I'm losing money, which is the, this is a foolish ideology, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to lose a lot more waiting 12 months worth of rent and how many people still get caught with that first month rent down scam and they just stop paying rent. And you're like, you didn't even look them up. Didn't do, you didn't search up McCanley, didn't look on open room, didn't look on front lobby, didn't, you know, didn't do any of these things, didn't really have a lease agreement. Like this, all this terribleness, like you called the last landlord, but not the landlord before that, right? So the, all you did all these things, right? Didn't ask any questions, didn't contact, you know, and you know, this is exactly what you deal with. So it's not just something simple like, you know, hiring a rent panda, that type of thing. It's like, this is different than that because you need to go deeper than what the, you know, certain organizations will offer you, et cetera. So it's a, it's a lot, you know, I look at it in the framework of what I would need as a practitioner to go after a tenant. If they've not paid rent, what would I want to know to protect the asset before? If I could place myself in a position of not going to court, what would that look like from the beginning? That's mm-hmm. the way I look at the sort of the sort of execution of it. So it's I hope sincerely hope that it helps people. I really do, and weed out the the individuals that have you know not just a sense of lack of severity, but you know the people that are just trying to do bad things. You know, they're sort of weeding them out from going to good landlords' properties. That's that's mm-hmm. the hope, right? Well, and I, I also think like if you look at it, like, I mean, whatever, most people will charge a month's rent like that will screen and find tenants. But I, I will tell you, that's hours and hours to find the right tenants can take so many hours. And if you have a lot of properties, like for me, I, like at this point, like I used to, to do my own, mm. uh, but like I've got, I don't know, 20 units coming to the market that I have to fill like this month, next month, the month after. Like I don't have the capability to do it myself. So like I've hired out. I mean, obviously, I know you've helped me for a few or, or testing out the, the program, the process, and that kind of stuff. But, you know, like that's to me, delegating it out and paying whatever it is going to cost, you know, to me, it's worth it because A, it's my time that I can save and I can focus on other things. But B, like you have access to things that we may not have access to or a company that, you know, that does this for a living might have, you know, databases, different things, different you know, opportunities to find information that, you know, somebody that may 
even be starting out may not even know about. Like you mentioned, Kenley Open Room, like those are all important to, to look at. And also, I'll tell you, there's a lot of like lit pro landlord groups on Facebook. I always make sure to search that person's name in any of those groups. But like those are the things that like A, come with practice, but B, they also do take time. So it's either you're like brand new, you don't want to mess it up because trust me, this is where you have the control. Please take your time on this. You know, hire somebody that knows what they're doing. Or if you just have so many units, like again, you know, because I, I would tell you it probably takes what a good like 10, 15 hours of, you know, like not all in chunks, but to find one tenant for one unit, I think that's probably the average timeline. And, you know, multiply that by many units. I'd rather delegate that out and, you know, focus on different things. Yeah. The only thing I disagree with the charging of, of mm -hmm. the actual screenings, I don't do one month's worth of rent. I think that's because it's wild, yeah. you know, to me, like to me screening a tenant for $5,000 mm -hmm. a month makes mm -hmm. no, like makes no difference if it's 1000, like none, like practically speaking mm -hmm. for me, it's more concerning that I would take $5,000. Like that's just not what I want. Yeah. Right? That's, it's just too much. It's, it's like offering a, a a bobby pin for 12 grand. It's not something I, I want. Yeah, I mean, that's if the rent is five, let's just say if the rent is 5,000. But I think the going in general, like if you're hiring, what, like, you know, maybe a property manager or if you're hiring a realtor, that's usually what they charge you. So you're thinking of doing a different structure from a payment standpoint? Yeah, very much so. One centralized cost for each matter. One centralized cost for each actual placement. If you want extra digging, you know, that kind of thing and following yeah. up, et cetera, then that makes sense. I think a lot of people get the physical aspect when they look at that for one month's worth of rent, the property managers, they hand the key and that kind of stuff. It's like, well, you mm -hmm. can price that out yourself or I would tell the investor to do it themselves. Or if you have a property manager, then you just hand, they're picking up the key from one place or that kind of thing. So it's just, it's different allocation, right? Like the, uh, to me, yeah. it makes, it just doesn't make any sense charging a, a month's worth of rent because it, it just doesn't, right? If you have a, a unit that's, I mean, I don't know if they exist, but if you have a unit that's, that's only being charged for like $500 per month. So I don't think that really exists. I don't think, I don't think that exists. Like, why would you don't use the street service? <laughs> let's, like let's, say, let's say like 1500 bucks as like the low end. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's like you just use a service and then, you know, I'm kind of shocked that that's not offered in other places because I've looked it up. There's not that many competitors in that space. No. Not many people sort of do it, but it's important. It's like pick. Do you want to yeah. screen the tenant or you want to get someone that's going to defraud you? It's up to you. Like every yeah. matter that I have that has the worst person attached to it, you know, this terrible tenant who's just mm -hmm. <laughs> destroyed the property. They're, they're like they're all like on news reports. Mm -hmm. Right. They were arrested. There was one gentleman that I was dealing with several years ago. It's a matter since been done. But he he was caught bribing police officers in, in Toronto and he went to jail for multiple years and came out immediately started defrauding multiple landlords. It's like none of you like Googled him. <laughs> you yes. know, it's like any of these investors like, oh, you Googled him, but it's his old name. Right. You didn't use his yeah. middle name. You didn't look on Canley because that would have flagged that you didn't. You know, he changed his name. You didn't look at the Ontario government reports on name changes. So you didn't see that it was denounced. So you didn't, you know, it's like, this is on you. Like, I don't. think for you, though, like from a business standpoint, like because like now, obvi obviously, what you're hinting at without going into pricing is it's going to be less than a month's rent. I think you just have to you just have to step up because <laughs> yeah. like you're going to get really busy really fast is what I fear. Right. And uh, all of a sudden people are going to say like, well, if it's going to be less than a month and I'm going to pay a month rent. I'm just going to call you. So I think you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to figure that business piece up pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah. I also want to do a good turnaround time, like 48 hours, that kind of thing for a report. Okay. To be All right. Well, let's, let's make sure you step up there. Yeah. <laughs> that's 
sounds like a whole other side of your business. Yeah, like thank God I you know I have great partners and we're good at pretty good at implementation. So like I I'm, I'm used to a significant caseload as it is. So you know I think we we I think you know I don't put my mind to anything. I intend to sort of do slop with a sloppy and sort of mm-hmm. so you know when we do offer it and we do place it up like it'll be a little bit different. And then you know we have I'm re- I'm regulatory you know controlled right. So I work as a paralegal inside Ontario. So I'm licensed to the Law Society of Ontario. So mm-hmm. there's important things that we have to set up beforehand so we're not dipping into the same thing and not causing conflicts with our office, et cetera, because this yeah. is a separate entity completely. So right. there's a lot of things that we have to provide disclaimers for, make sure we're licensed correctly and all, et cetera, that kind of thing. So a lot of just the the grunt work is being the done. When do you think you'll be ready to launch? We're looking to uh, be available by November. Okay. So I, I really do want to get it launched before the January season to... Okay. I'm, I'm your test. I'm your test dummy in the meantime because I got a bunch yeah. of units I got to get done. Yeah. hundred percent. So mm-hmm. oh, it's a pleasure working with you. You're a great client. Yeah, you are. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great price too. Yeah. Right. So it's like, yeah, we'll figure how it works. And then, yeah. You know, iron, iron out the kicks on me. I don't mind. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just, yeah, people, I always wonder why people... Well, you know, you and I both know who thought of this idea because it wasn't mine. I took it from someone else. Yeah, right? you can but, say who it is. Yes, yes, your husband. Oh, you're so your yeah. part, your partner, your partner that uh, husband, spouse. I don't know. We're, spouse, coming, spouse, it's, yeah. we're going on 18 years, so however you yeah, want to call it. The joke in there somewhere, <laughs> but it's yeah, it's it was a great idea. It was a great. Idea. He works in law enforcement, and it's like it was a fantastic idea screening tenants. And the fir- first thing I thought was when I was on the phone with him, and he brought me this idea, and I went, you know, that would be great. But the way I would, and I, and I thought, oh, you know what, this is actually really good because, no, actually, this is really good. Because I wouldn't have to deal with property managers. I wouldn't have to deal with practitioners. I wouldn't have to deal with, you know, oh, I could, I, you know, I could make this cheaper and there would be less of a need to actually go to court. It'd be less of a need to, oh, you know what? This is a fantastic idea, right? If we had dealt with these issues in the beginning and it would be significantly cheaper than dealing with it. And I was like, yeah. well, why are they charging so much for, you know, because I've, I've worked in real estate for years. I, I've never really understood one month's worth of rent. Back when the rent was low, I got it. But mm-hmm. now that it's so expensive, it's like, right. you know, even in the legal field, we charge ridiculous sometimes, $1,000 an hour <laughs> some people. So it's like, you know, I don't, that's, that price point doesn't make any sense anymore, right? Yeah. And I guess from your building out your business, like, I guess you have to see like where you come in, like, do you come in at the very beginning from advertising or do you provide the templates in this, the process up until a certain point and then... So I guess like, I don't know if that's still kind of in the works of what you're trying to figure out because, you know, a lot of it is in the, you know, a lot of the heavy lifting, I think, is actually in the beginning few steps before before the applications filled out and getting them out there and actually like pre-screening them all. And so I guess you'll have to figure that part. But I think it's going to be interesting. Like it's definitely a service that people need. And if, you know, they don't have to pay a full month's rent for it, it actually might be a win for everybody. Yeah. I mean, like your time as a, as an investor should be to be giving the keys to the tenant. Like, that's it, mm-hmm. right? Hand, if you want to handle management on, absolutely. But apart from that, like, why would you? I always looked at people that screen their own tenants, like, would they have a third head? It's just like, if you should be getting a realtor that knows what they're, they're doing, et cetera, hire mm-hmm. a law firm to do it. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of places that sort of deal with this type of thing. It's like, same thing I have to do anyways when I'm looking up a matter with a new, the new client, conflict yeah. check, et cetera, you know, looking at things holistically. And, you know, you, when I do, when I deal with the tenant, when I'm sending an eviction application, you had better b- believe I'm searching things. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going through Canly. I'm going through, you know, I'm going through open room, et cetera. I want to get a sort of an idea of who the person is if I'm dealing with something in particular. 
yeah. right? And see if there's like a matching occurrences from other landlords, you know? And, and when we do, when we serve people, we have to find them. So, which means we're doing credit report checks. We're doing, yeah. you know, again, this is not unheard of from my colleagues that are running, you know, corp checks and they're trying to figure out someone if someone's on title or there's a directorship with suing in small mm-hmm. claims in Superior Court. It's like, for us, this is regular everyday occurrence. It's just, it just hasn't bled into like the real estate field like too much. Right, right, right. So it's like no one does it, but now it's, you know, you just can't lose out on 12 months worth of rent at this point. It's just too dangerous. So you might as well just use a service that does it. So is that going to be all of Ontario? Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, you know what? I think we've been on this podcast for like almost an hour, I want to oh, say, yeah. which, is, which is great. This is why we could always keep talking because there's so much information, so many changes, so many things. I am don't. always amazing to talk to, Sarah. That is exactly what's going on here. See? It's I true. so much awesomeness. It's fantastic. It's- it's true. There's so much. And there's so like this whole topic. I mean, yes, you bring a lot of awesomeness, but this topic is also, you know, very vast. And there's, I think many people get in and they don't really fully understand the rules and the regulations and that kind of stuff. And so, and it, it can, you can coast and it, it could be okay. But, you know, at some point you want to learn it because, uh, you know, you're in this game long enough and you'll need to, you'll need to issue some forms and you'll likely be, you know, going to the courts at, at some point. And if you don't want to, that's totally cool. If it's going to stress you out, hire Andrew and his team at Caveats and, and have them do it on your behalf. I know, you know, you, you're doing one or you did one for us and, and luckily we got the house back and all good now moving forward. Thanks, thanks to you and your team. But it happens, right? And so you can screen and have great tenants, but all of a sudden, you know, at some point along the way, things can change. So yeah. you've got to be, you've got to be ready. Awesome. So Andrew, we're not going to do the lightning round because you've been on this for so many shows already and, and the lightning round questions. You've answered them, but where can people find out more, reach out to you, reach out to your team? I know you said Angie and Glenn and yourself are uh, part of Caveat. Where can they go for that? Yeah. So you can reach us at 289-339-1311. Or you can email me at andrew at caveatllp.com. That's yeah. And you can reach out to our office. I always just tell everyone, just give us a call. That's the best way of reaching us. And you can also look us up online on Google Business, Facebook, and on Instagram, website, that kind of thing. Caveatllp.com. And yeah, just reach out to us and, and we can certainly help. Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for all your help with uh, with my stuff personally. For my listeners as well, I, I know many people have worked with your your firm and uh, you are a wealth of knowledge. And also for midterm, you're a go-to person for midterm. So if you guys are thinking of that strategy, you could definitely reach out to us. But also if you're looking for a paralegal, if you're looking to do it yourself, manage it yourself, you know, you definitely reach out to their team because it is a new concept and you want to do it as good as possible to try to avoid you know, getting into that, that you want to be in the right side of the gray zone, if that makes any sense. (laughs) Awesome, Andrew. Thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larvey. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.